Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Paradis, freelance writer in Edmonton, Welcome back to Candle and Shortcuts. Hey, Jesse. Today, Danielle, we're going to talk about a couple of things. First of all, our democracy is gross. That debate was embarrassing. The rumor mongering is, is pathetic. The memes are asinine. Do Canadian politics have to suck this hard? A lament today on the show. Also, Post Media finally responds to our investigation. Or somebody's, their CEO won't say who he's talking about, but we're going to talk about him. Glad to have you here for it. Thanks for having me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Bram Walters, Garrett Woolsey, Rube Waddell, Linda Stokes, Benjamin McMaster, Danny Gray, and Gino DeVito. Hi, I'm Gino DeVito. I'm a curious human who lives in Stouffville, Ontario, and I support Canada Land because the much more conversational tone makes me feel like they're having a genuine discussion rather than two people just throwing talking points at each other. This episode is also brought to you in part by Article. Article is an online furniture store. Danielle, are you a, a, a person who buys furniture? Uh, I am, yes. There's a whole thing I have to tell you about. Have you bought furniture online before? Is this is this something you've done? No, I haven't. Well, I bought my mattress online. I was trepidatious when I first bought furniture from them. Anything can look good on the internet. What's this going to look like when it arrives? It looks fantastic. So with fall coming up, it's time to spend more time indoors, refresh your space. They've got loungeables, sectionals, stackable chairs. They keep their prices low by cutting out the middleman. You save up to 30% over traditional retail prices, and they have a 30-day return policy for easy returns and exchanges. Canada Land has been using Article for our stuff. We've got a, a couch that is well-loved by the staff here. I got stuff at home. Uh, they are offering listeners of this podcast 50 bucks off of their first purchase of $100 or more. To claim that, go to article.com slash canadaland and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. Happens automatically. That is article.com slash CanadaLand for 50 bucks off of your first purchase of 100 bucks or more. We can't build in. We can't even build in the service. Okay, they have very much. Ms. May, thank you. Ms. May, thank you. We delivered on it. If you have a fire in a four-story building, getting a one at a time. Mr. Singh is getting more expensive. Mr. Singh and then Mr. Van. I want to say this directly to. If it wasn't my job to watch that, like I cannot imagine 
that anyone watched that from beginning to end who was not like a partisan who works for the party or does volunteer work for the party or is running for like you have to be running in this election to watch that or a journalist like who who the hell would subject themselves let the blame not just rest at the feet of the candidates like this consortium that put together the debate in their goofy format you know you you've got 20 seconds to respond you've got 10 seconds to rebut uh three minutes to say anything you like uh you ask yeah. ask him a question everybody quick switch podiums and cluck like a chicken <laughs> what the hell was going on it was really geared for or sound bites. So that's what happens when you let uh, producers run wild. It's that thing of like thinking that, that that because it's their job to set up a format, they have to like set up a format. Wow, we'll set up a format. We'll have five moderators. There'll be lightning rounds and 15 different special things. <laughs> you know, they really, they really, they wanted their presence known that they had something to do with this. But you know, you know what they won't have? Indigenous people. Yeah, let's talk about that. Th this is what we found out and reported. The CEO of APTN was on one of the two committees. There were like two different committees. One has no actual power. That was the advisory committee, and Jean LaRose and Craig Kilberger and a bunch of people were on this advisory committee. And, you know, it's all there's conflicts of interest all over the place. Mm -hmm. The CEO of APTN, I think quite rightly, was lobbying hard for, well, there needs to be, if we're going to have five moderators, and if we're all agreed that Indigenous issues are, you know, now properly recognized uh, as, as primary issues that should be a part of any leader's debate... Can one of these moderators be an indigenous journalist? Can can one? It's going to be a really bad look if all of the candidates are talking indigenous issues and none of them are indigenous, and all of the moderators are asking tough questions about indigenous issues and none of them are indigenous. And no, they, they didn't even get an answer. It just was. It didn't go that way, and they were never offered an explanation. And then to add insult to injury, uh, what we reported was they visited APTN and the people who actually do get to make the decisions and said, "Well, how about this?" When we ask a regular Canadian uh, to ask a question to the candidates, the person who holds the microphone out can be an APTN reporter. And APTN said, yeah, no thanks. We, we have better things to do with our reporters than to serve as human mic stands. Danielle, as a Métis uh, Canadian, like, wh what is your take on this state of affairs? Well, let me speak on behalf of all Métis people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, why don't we just expand that? Can you? I mean, I, you're you're here because you're a wonderful journalist and an interesting, smart person. But really, I'd like you to represent all First Nations, yes, absolutely, uh, Indigenous people. Uh, we're all very offended. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was they're going to let like an actual fascist or wannabe fascist on stage, uh, Maxime Bernier, but they're not going to allow Indigenous people. Uh, I definitely raised my eyebrows when um, I saw the moderator uh, for the Indigenous issues, um, but I. I actually didn't know who she was, so I thought, well, maybe I should reserve my judgment. She could be a white-looking Métis like me. Uh, then I saw your story sort of midway through the debate, and I was just stunned that instead of allowing an Indigenous reporter, who were already underrepresented in Canadian media, they just decided that they could be furniture for the event. Let's hear a little bit about what that segment sounded like. I have nothing to learn from Mr. Trudeau, who fired the first Indigenous Attorney General for doing her job. She said that she would do politics differently, and you fired her when she did. And you want to talk about getting pipelines built? The, you've cancelled two pipelines, and the one you bought, you can't build. You've let tens of thousands of people in Alberta and Saskatchewan down, and you have failed, and you have failed to recognize that Indigenous communities so, okay. are hurt by I, this I, as I well. am accepting Sorry, the fact that I'm going to be attacked for uh, not you. building pipelines 
pipelines from some and for building pipelines we'll for others. And the balance we need to I take think we'll is be talking right about this one. Say, Mr. Scheer, that you want to respect provinces and Quebec jurisdictions. But when it comes to this pipeline of yours and this, you know, corridor energetic, which translation, translation, I'm sorry, in English is pipeline, you don't fear the idea of expropriating territories belonging to provinces and saying, the constitution, yours, not mine, the constitution says that I have the right to go through provinces, through Quebec, without their approval. And that's, may I remind you that Quebecers the and the Prime Minister of Quebec said clearly that he does not want I to. I remind you that this is about how will we re respect indigenous rights. During that section, supposedly about indigenous issues, uh, a, a good chunk of the time was spent talking about uh, pipelines. And I don't know, Karen Puglesi of APTN said, you know, this is a classic example of about us without us. Absolutely. Listening to the debate, you would think that the only issues indigenous people care about are Jody Wilson-Raybould and pipelines. Uh, it's really interesting that Andrew Scheer has decided to be like the self-appointed savior of all indigenous women through her in particular. Uh, and then, you know, a little bit about boil water advisories got tossed in at the end by Trudeau. Yeah, which I don't know, like, he, he's a little bit more proud of his uh, of his progress there than perhaps he should be. <laughs> yes, well, that's a liberal government for you. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I was I was really depressed watching this, but I knew that what I was watching wasn't really where the action was at. The action was how it was going to get memed afterwards. And uh, I want to talk about two memes that came out of that. Um, the first was kind of brewing for a long time, Danielle. This True North Initiative, which is this kind of racist anti-immigrant. I'll say it. They're a racist anti-immigrant think tank that is posing as a, as a journalistic organization. They have uh, Andrew Lawton, a former candidate who's calling himself a journalist. Uh, to some extent, he's got a claim on that, I guess, as anyone might. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty wide open as to who can call themselves that. And uh, he's, he's been trying to follow campaigns and, and, you know, getting shown the door and playing the free speech card. Um, who will stand up for my right to be uh, to be here covering these campaigns? You know, if you're talking about these these parties, they do have the right to let in anyone they want and not like, you know, that's not technically a public space. That's their events. And if, if they've made the determination, it's not so much about who's a journalist and who isn't. If they made, made the determination, this guy is not going to give us any coverage that's going to help us and we're not going to face any kind of blowback. Uh, that's they sort of have the right to do that. And then it led up to what is a public event, the debates, where the rebel was denied uh, access and they and they went to court for that and won. I, I really don't like this job of I'm going to say who's a journalist and who isn't. But what, what, what this was about was like anyone can cover the debates. You can watch the debates and write about the debates. What they wanted was to get their guy, Key and Bextie, in there to ask a question of Trudeau that is engineered to be the most embarrassing question that he could possibly ask, not an, not a question that like we want an answer to, but a question that's almost guaranteed Trudeau hasn't prepared for and guaranteed can't really answer directly so that you get a clip. Hi, Mr. Trudeau. Since your multiple use of blackface became an international scandal, Canada's international reputation has been irrepar irreparably harmed. Have you reached out to any African leaders or any leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your conduct? Canada will continue to engage in a positive, constructive way around the world, standing up for human rights, uh, engaging uh, with leaders right around the world, because we know that uh, promoting our values and uh, prosperity for everyone around the world is good for Canadians and creates better opportunities for everyone. So that didn't answer the question at all. Have you spoken to any African leaders or leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your personal conduct? Uh, 
I have continued to engage. I really liked um, Blanchet just uh, shutting down the, the rebel and saying, oh, I just don't answer questions from the rebel. It's really something to see the Bloc Québécois now being the um, stalwart against racists. It was amazing. They, they, the, the Bloc figured it out. I'm, I'm not taking your question. Um, Trudeau was not quite as, as quick on his feet. And, you know, the point of that, I mean, like, there is no answer to that question. Like, uh, of course, no. you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not a question in good faith. Like, I, I don't b- believe that the rebel cares what the leaders of African and Middle Eastern nations think of Justin Trudeau. Um, <laughs> no, I would say that they probably don't. Right. And, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it was designed to create a meme and that meme very predictably was spread widely throughout the alt-right uh, internet the next day and the extreme mm-hmm. right internet, uh, not just in Canada, by big players in the States as well, because it, it just makes Trudeau look so foolish. And that was the point. That was the exercise. I'm actually struggling with this, Danielle. Like, I feel like uh, regardless of, of, of their partisan intentionality and the, and the political theater and warfare that they're engaged in and how far I find that from journalism... I still am uncomfortable saying, and that's why we should never let them into these types of public venues. Like, I, I don't want to be the person who determines who can come in and who can't. I don't want to champion them either. Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to make the decisions on free speech. I'm glad that it's not completely left up to me. If it was, I probably wouldn't let the rebel at the debates. I don't, I don't think that they actually fulfill the intention of journalism, which is to help inform the public. It's more about skewing things so that liberals or progressives in general look stupid. That said, they, they argue the same thing about other places like um, you know, Progress Alberta or um, the Press Progress. At the same time, I I thought we were beyond this. Like, how has not the rebel crossed the line yet to the point that we can accept? You know what? Mostly, the things they pump out are just racist, anti-progressive propaganda, and we really don't need to mess with this anymore. Like, when are we going to get to that point? We were kind of there for a while. There was a moment where where every conservative candidate basically said, "I won't talk to the rebel." Um, you know, I think that that this was an area where. The only thing that kind of protects you when politicians like say to you, I'm not going to answer your question because of who you are, because I don't trust your your news organization. And if anyone were to say that to us, and some people have, I would hope that other journalists would have some sense of solidarity saying it's, it's very convenient for you that Canada Land is beneath your contempt because they're the only ones asking this tough question. It allows you to avoid that question. So I, I would be relying on some sort of journalistic solidarity uh, to have my question heard and not just to be smeared as as some kind of partisan actor. Uh, and yet when it's the rebels' turn, I don't think they deserve that kind of defense. So, like, is this just sort of an ad hoc case-by-case thing that we do? I mean, free speech is always a negotiation, right? There's the Overton window. There's what's allowed in public debate. Uh, it's always an ongoing conversation with shifting borders. There's not usually just one set. Um, and we're not the same as the U.S. So much of our... Um, ethics and rhetoric around this seems to be imported uh, from a country that just puts no limits on free speech. Uh, And we've seen where that has gotten us. So I just, I I think um, you still see reporters and and media people coming out, you know, in favor of free speech and in favor of the rebel. It is a challenging uh, group of people to have to defend. I don't, I don't know that I'm a free speech absolutist. I, I just can't quite get there with the rebel. <laughs> There's a couple more things uh, about this miserable election I want to talk about. Uh, one of which is just this uh, 
this rumor mill getting out of control with uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, we've heard, you know, Justin Trudeau infidelity rumors for, for forever. And, you know, I think that like Canada, Canadian media has got like a pretty decent um, history of unless this somehow you can make a, a case that this this impacted public matters. We don't touch that stuff. Yeah. In a post Me Too environment. Uh, a rumor that there was some kind of dismissal from uh, Justin Trudeau's job when he was a teacher for some kind of uh, uh, a, a rumored, uh, unfounded, and unsubstantiated, you know, this is going around that something involving a student, that would be something that w- would get reported on if it could be substantiated. And all we know for sure is that it got as far as Marika Walsh, uh, the Globe and Mail, asking uh, Trudeau about it. And, and it's funny because she asked him... Uh, <laughs> In the question, she didn't just say, what's your answer about these rumors? You and your campaign team are aware of unfounded rumors about why you left West Point grade private school midway through your teaching term in 2001. Can you tell us why you left? Yeah, that's some question. <laughs> like, yeah. But Warren Kinsella, who I think is just, uh, you know, for any king's shilling, uh, is out there. Uh, you know, I think the Green Party, who knows? Uh, he's He's out there. He's been shopping this, and oh, my spidey sense is tingling, he said. This, right. The Globe's going to drop this big bombshell tomorrow. And it's a kind of no-lose proposition because uh, either he's right and it comes out and he's just the all-seeing Warren Kinsella, or it doesn't come out and, oh, the liberal elites have have, have quashed this uh, damaging story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that tweet and I just, I went hunting. I was like, what is this story? Digging around you know, the depths of the internet, pulled up an article on Frank magazine. Um, and then, you know, I woke up early, actually, this is what a nerd I am, to see if there's anything in the globe, just wondering, like, what is this going to do? Are we not so much because I'm concerned about what Trudeau does? I don't I don't really care who he's sleeping with. Yeah. But because are we actually going to cross this threshold that we haven't yet in Canada, in Canadian media, where we just start bringing in their personal lives? And like, what is that going to do? So I spent like a sleepless night worrying about this. <laughs> and I'm actually kind of relieved that... Um, the, there's no story there yet. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to debate the politics of a story that doesn't exist. Like, you know, it's it's just personal life unless it was blah, 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 and, you know, the age of consent. But, but none, yeah, none of, of this is germane because there's nothing. There was also implications that it was someone's mom. So that was more. Like, either way, um, one, absolutely, I care if it was beneath the below the age of consent and in a power differential. I just feel like I have to say that. Sure. In this hypothetical situation. Yes. So so Justin Ling looked into this and and has sources within the Globe and Mail and just confirmed that, like, it, it didn't run because they never got anything because, as, you know, the, the, you always, there's always room for something to be revealed tomorrow that makes me eat my words. But at this moment, we only can deal with the information we have. Yeah. This has gotten more play than it should have, given how thinly sourced, just how little there is there. Uh, There is a fake news site that does do Canadian fake news. Uh, I always say there's no Canadian fake news. There is one site. It's not a Canadian site. It's uh, the Buffalo Chronicle, which we've uh, we've written about them before. They're the ones who ran with this. But it's one of these stories that I think everyone was talking about on social media. And, you know, this close to the election day, every bit of attention is highly coveted, is highly valuable. And if we're talking about a possible... Justin Trudeau's sex scandal, every minute we spend talking about that is a win for his opponents. Mm-hmm. So whether this is a Kinsella plot or whatever, it was successful. It, it, it got the conversation where they wanted it. So miserable election uh, note part five. One last one before we move on. You got? Can you stomach one more? Um, I do wonder what the media's role is in making everybody feel terrible about this election, which is about nothing. But sure, go ahead. <laughs> 
I, you know, it's just, just, just a, a pox on everyone's house. You know what I mean? Here's here's the last bit. And and uh, full disclosure here, I'm friends with Stephen Marsh. Stephen Marsh writes stuff uh, from time to time about Canada for Americans. And he wrote a piece for The Atlantic that really is like the definitive, uh, like, what are we so angry at Justin Trudeau for? Let's like really look at this guy and, and and admire all that he has accomplished. And it's really telling to me the way that Stephen Marsh writes about Trudeau. He refers to blackface as in the singular tense. Like, sure, there was that blackface thing. Well, no, he kind of did it three times. Who knows how many times? Yeah, three that we know of. Yeah. And then this is the part that kind of got into a bit of conflict for Stephen. He writes that uh, the statistics show that Justin Trudeau has kept 92% of his election promises fully or partially. Okay? Now think about that. Oh, wow. Like, the part that you remember is he kept 92% of his election promises? Like, that's pretty fucking good. And then, but, you know, he does have in there fully or partially. Right. When you actually interrogate that statistic... The statistic is that he kept 50% of his election promises fully and 42% partially. And and what portion we don't know. And we also don't know, like, you know, there are election promises big and small. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the biggest ones he abandoned cynically immediately, right? So the way that that was written seems so purposeful to give a a, uh, a kind of a top line, wow, 92% of promises kept. And... uh, People have just taken that and and left out the fully or partially part. People probably just read the headline. (laughs) That's how people read news. That and there's some great pull quotes in this Atlantic article. And it's always better when somebody else is saying something wonderful about you than you. So who has turned that Stephen March article into a meme? The Liberal Party of Canada. And now they're running this ad uh, quoting Marsh. He is measurably, demonstrably the most sincere and effective prime minister in living memory. Stephen Marsh, The Atlantic. I hope I'm still friends with Stephen Marsh next week. It is my obligation to tell you that Stephen Marsh is personal friends with Christia Freeland. Okay? Like, you know, I'm not going to use the term that this was like a blowjob piece um, on, on Justin Trudeau. That's what journalists used to say. That oh, that was a that was a softball. That was a blowjob piece. Because that's sort of like a remnant of toxic masculinity. I'm not going to say it was a blowjob. I'm going to say it was a um, it was a ball washing piece. It was a it was a tender. Uh, ball grazing and and powdering of of the of the delicate sack of Justin Trudeau. It really was. <laughs> I like, think that's actually write. worse. Is that worse from a visual perspective? <laughs> I think I prefer blowjob. I'm pretty sure it's bad. No, it's much worse. Uh, okay. Anyway. Anyway, and now that's a video that the Liberal Party of Canada is running paid ads like. What's going on? And what's like? I know it's for all the marbles. Everyone's got to pull out all the stops. But but I'm 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 really depressed uh, about <laughs> about the state of things right now. Have I mentioned that? Well, I mean, you can't you can't really blame the the Liberal Party for running with it. But yeah, you, you maybe need to talk to Stephen Marsh because that's the kind of like puffball thing that it's just so easy for people to to run with and in an election where everybody's already feeling kind of disenfranchised and like you want to speak about disenfranchised try being a progressive in alberta during a federal debate like it's like who cares i feel for you (laughs) puffball i could have just said puffball danielle you you you, i just want to loop back on one thing before we move on Mm -hmm. you you brought up uh 
the role of media in disgusting everybody about the, and, and degrading the level of this discourse. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. As, as journalists, we're all pretty cynical people. And so at the best of times, we tend to drag down public discourse with our cynicism. But, you know, in particular, when I, when I hear, um, media media critics everybody's saying like oh well this what is this about this isn't about anything this is election about nothing isn't it then partly our job to help push some of the discussion like there there actually are things going on you know we hear that like this may be the last 16 months that we have to change to do something about climate change to change it from like uh, horrifically bad to only sort of bad. Um, there, there are real issues that that need to be discussed. There's indigenous sovereignty. There's pipelines. There's you know education and housing for indigenous people, um, and. A lot. The Canadians in general want to be apolitical and disengaged. You see that all the time. Like, oh, they're all terrible. Um, that's sort of like nihilism just gives everybody a pass so that we don't have to we don't have to engage we don't have to care about these issues because they're all terrible like you know we have 38 million people in the country and we can't this is all we can find like it's just it's so easy to be cynical this episode is brought to you by ag1 listen taking care of your health is not always easy but it should at least be simple that is why for months now i start every day by drinking ag1 i take a scoop of this green powder i mix it in a canister with water shake it up and i drink it i get hydrated and i get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that i have vitamins minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Danielle, on this show, uh, we duly note that which needs to be duly noted so people take note of it. What do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to duly note myself. So thank yes. you for giving me the opportunity. Jesse, have you heard about Vivian Krauss? Oh, yes. I'm familiar with Vivian Krauss. Okay. So uh, Vivian Krauss's new um, video is out, uh, Over a Barrel, and uh, that was playing in Calgary as well as Edmonton. Has it played out east there? I, I don't follow her works, but I think I think you. Like, I, I'm happy to, or, or or you could fill people in on 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 who Vivian Cross is. Yeah. Um, so her background, if I understand it correctly, is that she's a nutritionist and she was a former constituency office worker for a conservative MP. Um, so her. New video, her new um, documentary was out over a barrel, uh, and I went to go see that. And I have I'll have a video piece up on Energy Media later today, and it just does. It's not exactly a deep dive debunking, but it's a discussion about the video, the crowd, um, what we're seeing in Alberta, uh, as well. It, on the same site, there is a deep dive into her tar sands campaign conspiracy narrative. Uh, so everyone can check that out and, and, and should. One more time, where can they find it? You can find that on Energy. That's Energy with an I dot media. All right. Energy with an I dot media. Check it out. Duly noted. I have one. I read today uh, in the Financial Post that the CBC is talking tough about Netflix. Catherine Tate had talked tough about Netflix in the past, uh, and it was sort of disastrous. She 
compared Netflix to the colonialism of the British and French empires when she first was talking trash about Netflix. CBC partners with Netflix on like, Alias Grace and, um, you know, you can watch Shit's Creek on, on Netflix. There's a bunch of stuff, you know, Baroness Von Sketches on. Anyhow, there was Catherine Tate saying that they're like the, the British colonial empire. She took that back. We said, no, they're still colonialists, but I, I'm sorry about the British and French part. Anyhow, <laughs> today she's announced that CBC will no longer work with Netflix to produce shows. They're done because she has decided that these deals hurt the long-term viability of the domestic industry. She's doing it for the good of the Canadian industry. That's why she's doing it. So uh, I, I want to duly note that that's bullshit. Um, the CBC has no interest in, in, in making moves that are against its business interests because it helps the Canadian industry. In fact, that's not a part of the CBC's mandate. The CBC's mandate is to inform, enlighten, and entertain us uh, wherever we get our media, wherever that may go. The CBC has got to find us there and get us the stuff, right? Um, preserving the Canadian industry outside of the CBC, not their job. Uh, what is their job, they've decided, is competing directly with Netflix in an app war. They have their own app, Gem, and as basically TV viewing is balkanizing into a series of competing over-the-top streaming apps, Gem is, is a choice, and it's free meum. You can, you can get it for free. It's laden with ads. It's terrible to use. If you want to fast-forward, you've got to watch the same ads again, and they have so few advertisers that you're watching like the same two ads again, again, and again. They try to upsell you to get rid of the ads and also to get CBC News Network, which we've already paid for as taxpayers. But anyhow, uh, right now the war is on for who can get the most people onto their app. 65% of Canadians have never even heard of CBC's gem. And most Canadians have Netflix and young Canadians, 70% have Netflix. CBC using Netflix, uh, the collaborations between CBC and Netflix have been tremendously successful for Canadian content. Tremendous for shows like Schitt's Creek in reaching audiences in Canada and elsewhere. This is just where people are watching TV and that does fulfill uh, CBC's mandate to get us the stuff however we get our stuff. We should be getting Canadian stuff made by the CBC. I had a bone to pick with CBC, I don't know, a year ago because Alias Grace, like, you could watch it on Netflix everywhere else in the world but Canada. The way they'd structured it, it's like you could watch it on CBC Linear TV, but a lot of people don't have that. Uh, and then you go to Netflix, you can't get it if you're in Canada. You could get it everywhere else for a certain period of time. So I had a quibble about that. Now they've gone the other way. It's not that they're doing too much with Netflix. They're not going to do anything at all and they're, they're saying that it's for the reason of protecting the Canadian system. And I think it's bullshit, and I think it's not going to work. A lot of people are saying to me today, why are you defending this, like, private Netflix, you know, standing up for Netflix? Like, if CBC wants to put their stuff on a free platform instead, isn't that just good public broadcasting? Absolutely. If CBC wanted to make all of their TV content, as they should, freely available to everybody, do what podcasts do, which is anybody can, can put a podcast on their platform. You can put a podcast, it's a free open format, and you can put it anywhere you want. So a lot of people watch video on YouTube. CBC could let YouTube uh, uh, have all their stuff. Sure, Gem as well. Netflix, sure, if you want it. That would it, that would fulfill their mandate of getting, we've already paid for this stuff, get it to the most people possible. But that's not what they're up to. They're trying to get the most dollar, subscription dollar, ad dollar for their stuff. And that's what this is about. And I just I just bristle at the way it's being misrepresented. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. Publicly funded should be publicly available. Duly noted. We have a feature on this show, Danielle, in addition to duly noted, in which we thank Peter Mansbridge for his incredible service. <laughs> this must be a new segment. It's a new segment. 
But then again, Peter Mansbridge's uh, 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 commitment to providing top quality content every day through his podcast, The Bridge, is a relatively new phenomenon. Can we call Can we call this new segment, Thank You for Mansplaining? Oh, everyone's got an idea for what this segment should be called. Thank You for Mansplaining, not bad. And it's from Manscorp Media, so that would be a good title for this. I thought it's, uh, you know, he does a 20-minute podcast every day. Uh, so I thought, you know, we'll, we'll just like connect you to The Bridge. The name of his podcast is The Bridge. And we'll give you The Bridge to The Bridge. Then a listener writes in and says, you missed it. You screwed this up. That's not what it should be called. And you know what? That listener was correct. And I don't have their name in front of me, so they're not going to get credit today because they were also a little bit snarky. <laughs> I'll thank them later. <laughs> Danielle, I bring you, if you did not catch the last, I don't know, 20 episodes or so of Peter Mansbridge's The Bridge, here is. I did not. Here is The Bridge abridged. Tiffany, take us to the bridge. How are we going to begin this evening? We're going to begin with a confession. I'm going to confess here. I want to be Transparent, totally transparent. I want all of you to know something about me. I have two passports. That's right. I have two passports. I have a Canadian passport and I have a British passport. I was born in Britain, so that's why I get a British passport. My son was not born in Britain, but he gets a British passport because of me. My daughters can have a British passport if they want one. They haven't asked for one yet. Danielle, before we get to our last segment, uh, I want to thank our final sponsor, and that is... Danielle, did you happen to read this uh, this very long story that we published uh, over the summer where Sean Craig did this exhaustive investigation into what is happening across post media. I did, yes. I'm glad to hear that you caught it. It was one of our most read pieces. It might have been the most read piece of the last year. It was certainly up there. Uh, it's incredible how much interest there is in what um, this newspaper chain is getting up to. And and people read that story like, you know, most web stories get like 12 seconds of engagement. People spent minutes and minutes and minutes reading. It was, it was a thoroughly exha- uh, exhaustively reported story about how the new CEO, Andrew McLeod, is... is uh, trying to take the reins and shift the whole thing um, in terms of its scope, its business plan, and its editorial direction, and, and, and move it further to the right. And one thing we didn't get that we really wanted, we asked again and again, Sean Craig asked Andrew McLeod for an interview and uh, did not get a response. But McLeod has now, at long last, responded in his way. Did you read this article? Yes, the one in the Financial Post. Front page of the Financial Post um, which is, of course, the National Post business section. Mm-hmm. And a big smiling picture of, uh, of Andrew McLeod with his arms crossed and a big, beaming, a big beaming grin. And the headline, Post Media on a Transformative Journey, a Q&A with CEO Andrew McLeod. I think we, we settled on ball washing? No, uh, puff, puff, <laughs> puff job. Yes. That's where we were. 
you know, it, it's fine. Like every now and then every newspaper uses itself to propagandize for itself. And it's always a little bit gross when you think about the, the poor fucking reporter who gets the job of having to write these things. Well, he's a business reporter, so you don't really feel that bad for him, do you? <laughs> I even have compassion in my heart for business reporters. You know, they, they have to be, they have to maintain their credibility too. I don't know if they couldn't get somebody on on their team, or um, or if they just were kind enough not to make one of their own people write it. But they got somebody special to Financial Post. So I assume a freelancer, Jason Young, to ask questions like, "What would you say Post Media's biggest successes have been in 2019?" <laughs> ah, ooh, there's so many. I don't know. Do I have to choose just one? So it kind of goes on like that. Uh, tell us about your new partnership with The Logic. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a business piece, so I, I guess we can't really... Like, some of the language makes sense in that context, but the way he speaks about, you know, people, th it's people he's talking about as content and content providers, really. It says something to you about, like, what's important to him as the CEO, and that's more about... Uh, the financial situation than really the high quality journalism. And then when they get into this weird discussion about, you know, their pivot to the right and how it's, there's a lack of viewpoints that come from, what does he call it? Pro-innovation, pro-free market, smaller government. Like, I mean, I live in Alberta. And so I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, all the columnists here are conservative now. Like, that's how you get a job. They don't want you if you're a progressive. It's like a complicated tapestry of ironies and hypocrisies. I mean, first, the ludicrous statement that that's an underrepresented view in the, in the media. Then the irony of saying, you know, what the media really needs is a huge national newspaper chain dedicated to small government <laughs> that has been lobbying the government for an ongoing $11 million a year subsidy. Uh, uh, these these things do not fit each other. I don't know how you could be a small government enterprise that is lobbying for uh, multi-million dollar government handouts permanently. As well as funding from the Alberta government's energy war room. Sure, teaming up with uh, the Kenny administration to fight uh, this uh, threat of the Albertans. Yeah, to uh, Albertans who want to say things that they don't like about the tar sands. I mean, it, it's quite something. It's really something. It's a, a real accomplishment in sophistry. But of course, uh, I'm interested in the part that deals with me. And the question is to Andrew McLeod, CEO of Post Media, why do you think some other journalism outlets seem wary of the new direction? I have read articles online that are critical of this new approach. And uh, the answer is really a masterpiece of smarm. Here's what he says. I look at where the criticism is coming from, and candidly, these institutions or organizations, he doesn't say who, mm -hmm. they're not fair. They're not balanced, really like the fair and balanced. Um, <laughs> and they don't espouse accurate reporting. Some of these groups explicitly state that they organize around a particular point of view. Uh, not sure. Uh, we, we, we never made any explicit statement uh, of the kind. So I think he's talking about press progress there. Mm -hmm. And it's a point of view that is often about providing a counterbalance. Well, that is us as an example to corporate owned media or fostering a very progressive agenda. Again, that's press progress, not us. I get it. He says, I understand that they have an agenda and I do understand the agenda is to go out and try to invalidate the viewpoint of post media. But what I find deeply regrettable is that they feel it's okay to attack the credibility and the integrity of the journalists <laughs> and the journalism that we produce. Say what you will about me. 
Slings and arrows. Yeah, I mean, considering that he refers to journalists as content throughout the most of the rest of the piece, it's really interesting yeah. that he becomes so high-minded with his journalistic ethics at this point. We champion post-media's journalists on the reg. If there is, and there are great journalists at post-media, and they will come on the, the Monday show, and we will celebrate and boost their journalism. But, but no, he is taking a stand. I just want to break this down a little bit. First of all, I, 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 I will excoriate any attempt to defame us without naming us because it's the dirtiest thing it's it's like i won't dirty my mouth with the name canada land they're beneath my contempt i'm not gonna feed the trolls not gonna add oxygen and gasoline to the to the fire blah 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 but i will make a series of accusations about them it's clearly about us you know that that, that we don't espouse accurate reporting and that we're political partisans but we can't fight back because if we do he's like oh how do you know i was talking about you it's a it's a completely cowardly way to have a debate and I, I, I want to know, like, do people agree with me that now that they're getting public money, they need to be more accountable? They got to answer some questions like, you know, if, if, if Canada land can't be trusted, then whose questions are you answering? Because you're now getting paid by the taxpayer hiding behind his journalists. Oh, I'm not going to answer them because they disparage our journalists. I disparage Sue Ann Levy. I mean. This is the same thing McLeod did when I was on a panel on uh, TVO's The Agenda with him, where I brought up specific stories they'd gotten wrong, totally egregious story that falsely had it that, that uh, refugees were slaughtering goats in a hotel bathroom based on a TripAdvisor review, and other erroneous things, specific example after specific example. And his response was, you don't care about accuracy and you're making up narratives. And I say, which ones? And he says, oh, I don't have time for that. So this is how he wants to engage in this. And I'm going to go at length every single time. I, I, I'm not going to turn the other cheek because he does want to engage. Our criticism is valid enough that he does feel a need to respond to it, but he's not responding to it in any kind of a open, honest, transparent or accountable way. Danielle Parody, uh, thank you so much for enduring me today. I had a lot to say. <laughs> That's okay, Jesse. I, I was very glad to hear what you had to say as well. And uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Um, if anyone wants to email me about the show, you can do so at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. Where can people find you, Danielle? You can find me on Twitter at Danny Parody, or if you want to go look at my website for some reason, it's DanielleParody.com. Dot com. And on Dot com. On Twitter, that is parody with an S at the end. That's right. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Again, that is where you're going to find Oppo and Commons. Uh, our shows are just killing it these days. Subscribe to all of them. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do across our shows, through our news service, if you like the fact that we exist at all, uh, all of that is because we have supporters via Patreon. And uh, I ask you to become one of them. Go to patreon.com slash Canada Land. Mm -hmm.